I'm in a ladies' book review group that's been meeting for 25 years. Every once in a while, our group chooses to study a classic. And a few years ago, we read For Whom the Bell Tolls by Hemingway. In this novel, Robert Jordan is an American fighting in the Spanish Civil War. He's working with a guerrilla group that lives in the hills and is led in actuality, if not in name, by Pilar, a formidable woman with a colorful past. Pilar spends a lot of time sharing stories from her prior life. In one of her recollections, she speaks of having a gift for recognizing one who wears the smell of death. Pilar, it seems, hung out with and dated bullfighters. And bullfighters do not often die of old age. So Pilar has much experience with the smell of impending death. The subtle implication is that she smells death upon Robert Jordan. And in response to his question, she describes things in life that approximate this smell of death. I won't describe it for you here because it is, quite frankly, gross, but you can find it online if you're really interested. <laughs> but as the novel ends, we see that Pilar does, in fact, have this gift. Smell, the smell of life and the smell of death, plays an important part in our gospel passage for today. This week we jump from Luke, where we have been spending all of Lent, to John. And so this story needs a little bit of a setup. In chapter 11, just before our passage for today, John tells us the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This sign, this miracle, this life-giving act has set in motion the events that will lead to Jesus' death in just a few days. The high priest and the Pharisees are hearing from lots of folks, from eyewitnesses, that Jesus has outdone himself. It was fine when Jesus was curing lepers or driving out demons, but bringing someone back from the dead, someone who had been in the tomb for four long days, that was enough to make all the religious authorities panic. And so John tells us they planned to put him to death. In the midst of all of this plotting, Jesus is invited to dinner at his friend's home. Lazarus, fresh from the tomb, and his sister Martha, the earnest worker bee, and his sister Mary, the quiet observant one, throw a dinner party. That's right, it's time to have a party, they say. And really, who can blame them? For heaven's sake, Lazarus wasn't just sort of dead, or metaphorically dead like the prodigal son that we read about last week. No, Lazarus was dead dead. Four days dead. Dead long enough to cause a stench. But Jesus raised him from the dead. He transformed that stench of death into the aroma of new life. And so the family of Lazarus gathers to honor Jesus and to thank him for the restoration of their loved one. Martha is being Martha. She's cooking up the fatted calf, and she's serving those at the table, and she's pouring the wine, and she's probably still a little put out because Mary has slipped away again and is not doing her share. And Lazarus is sitting at the table, visiting with his guests and entertaining Jesus. I wonder if Lazarus still has a bit of the smell of death about him. 
Can you imagine the conversation between these two men, one so recently returned from the tomb and the other on his way? Can you smell this house? Can you smell the meat sizzling and the earth in the wine and the scent of bodies that have come in from walking around the countryside? Into all of this, Mary enters. She comes in and saying nothing, she breaks open a bottle of nard, a costly perfume, and she pours it lavishly upon Jesus' feet. She rubs this balm into Jesus' rough, tired, dirty feet. And then she begins wiping his feet with her hair. No one notices at first she has come in so quietly. But soon the fragrance of the perfume fills the house, cutting through that aroma of beef and wine. The smell of Mary's behavior is so strong and sweet that it is impossible to ignore, even if the other guests wanted to, which they probably did. This extravagant and intimate display hits them viscerally, and it takes their breath away. Why does it make us uncomfortable to even think about this scene? You know, we have Christmas pageants where we act out the birth story of Jesus, all shepherds and angels. Next week, we will act out Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as we do every year on Palm Sunday. But you never see a church act out this scene. Can you imagine sitting in worship and watching this play out? You kind of blush a little just thinking about it, don't you? I'm telling you, we'd have folks squirming in their seats and coughing and getting up to go to the restroom. Mary knows that Jesus' life is almost over. She might not know the hows or the whens or the wheres, but she knows it is soon. She who has taken every opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn from him, to love him, she feels it in her aching heart. And so she gets what she has set aside for him for just a time as this, and she spends it lavishly on him. She cracks open this jar that holds a pound of perfume worth a year's wages, and she anoints Jesus' feet. Anointing has a great history among God's people. Prophets would anoint kings to affirm that they were the chosen one of God. The term Messiah literally means anointed one. And had Mary poured her gift upon Jesus' head, there's probably no one in the room who had really raised an, ex an exception to that. After all, she would merely be proclaiming Jesus as king, something the crowds will do as he enters Jerusalem the very next day. But instead, she anoints his feet. And that makes all the difference because you only anoint the feet of a corpse. Mary is preparing Jesus for burial, and she is shameless in her ministrations. She uses an extravagant gift, and she is unselfconsciously using her hair to wipe his feet. Everything 
about Mary's tending to Jesus is unrestrained. I think this is why it makes us so uncomfortable. It is certainly why it makes Judas uncomfortable. The more that Mary tenderly and committedly tends to Jesus, the more Judas smells the stench of his own smallness and hardness of heart and betrayal. Mary has showered Jesus with the fragrant aroma of vulnerable love and devotion, and it shames Judas until he cannot stand it. And so he tries to diminish her gift. He tries to take her selfless, spontaneous gift and impute it with thoughtless motives. I am the fourth out of five children, and though my siblings and I have always loved each other, growing up it was a Darwinian survival of the fittest scenario. You had to become tough to make it in my childhood home. One of the many ways that we tormented one another was through sarcastic retorts. I can't tell you how many times one kid unthinkingly observed, something stinks. And another kid would fire back with, maybe it's your upper lip. (laughs) It's a juvenile expression, but I wonder if there might be just a little bit of truth behind it. Maybe we smell most clearly the smell that we give off. Are we sending out stink waves like Pigpen from the Peanuts gang? Are we caught in a pattern where all we see are the ways that we've been let down or hurt or dissed by others? Have we generally given up on people as being unkind and impatient and wrong thinking and greedy? Do we impute others with the worst possible motives and then grade ourselves on a curve? Do we try to convince ourselves that, hey, compared with everyone else, my sin don't stink so bad? We who would be disciples of Christ are called to smell new life and hope where others choose to smell death. Judas embodies a rejection of the call of discipleship while Mary is the model disciple She takes the opportunity to tend to Christ, and she does so in a way that is centered with love and gratitude and trust. Like her, we are to be extravagant in our love for Christ and for others, not stopping to calculate the opportunity cost of our acts. Like her, we ought not be embarrassed for all the world to see this intimacy, willingly revealing our vulnerability. Like her, we are to humble ourselves, serving Christ and others as a servant would his master. In the very next chapter, Jesus will follow Mary's example. He will take off his robe and he will tie a towel around his waist and he will wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel. In this, he models his loving devotion to us, a devotion he will carry all the way to the cross. Do you smell that? It's not quite arrived. We'll have to wait just a little while longer. But if you close your eyes and breathe in deeply, 
you can begin to smell the scent of God's love. Amen.